0: So um, before we dive in, um, one last little thing. We're a family church, so your kids are always welcome anytime we gather in the adult service. Uh, I just always like to give a disclaimer um, that there will be a window during the message today that's kind of PG-13-ish, and so uh, just just a heads up to that. So is anybody like me and you like the kind of previously on sort of little recap that TV shows do at the beginning of episodes? Anybody Enjoy that? Nope, I'm the only one. All right, well, I'm the kind of schizophrenic kind of sort of TV watcher, and so at any one time, I have like six or seven shows or more that I'm trying to watch or sort of watching or sort of paying attention to, and part of it's because I watch stuff with my wife, Hansi, and we like different stuff, and so um, like we, I have shows that I watch really only with her, um, and and uh, and she has a very small window of time that she's awake in the evenings for, for TV viewing, And so, um, and we watch it different. So because of that, we watch at different paces. And sometimes the thing that we decided to watch together actually turns out to be good and interesting. And so she falls asleep, but anybody like Netflix cheat on on your spouse or like a roommate or whatever, like you're trying to watch something, but they just are too slow. And so you watch, but you don't tell them like you're ahead of them, but you still pretend like you are where they are. Uh, No, no, no one does that. Uh, The other reason that I'm into so many shows at once is because I'm kind of ADD. And so I'll watch a show that I actually like until another show comes along that I really like. And when that happens, I stop watching that first show for a while until I just finish that new show that I'm super into. And then I'll go back to that other show. And sometimes it's weeks later, and that's when that previously on thing comes in really handy because the recap is super helpful. So all of that to say, if you haven't been here the last couple of weeks of Family Month, Previously on Family Month, life and family. We talked about how life and family is like putting together Legos without instructions, and we had this mass confession last week where we confessed other people's problems, and that was really fun and sort of cathartic. Um, and, and and we've also looked at two really dysfunctional families in the Bible that involved betrayal and drama and a couple of different murder plots. And, you know, just typical family stuff. And, and but most importantly, we said that you and I were designed for family. That your family was actually meant to be a team and that the people in your family are meant to be teammates and not competitors. So if you haven't been here, that kind of catches you up at least a little bit. I do encourage you to go back and listen to the podcast. Now, have you ever like told a kid, maybe it was because you were a parent and you have children or maybe it's just you were around children, but have you ever told a kid not to do something and then they looked right at you and they nodded like I got you but then they went off and straight it did it anyway. Anybody ever had that experience? Yeah, for sure. So in our family, like we love Disney movies in our house, but I've noticed something recently that so many Disney movies are built around the same sort of premise and plot where you have there's a father who specifically tells their child, "Don't do that. But then the child disobeys and they do that. And then we spend the next hour and a half watching the child trying to get of, get out of the that that their dad told them not to do. Now, I I have proof of this. Exhibit A, the Lion King. Mufasa clearly lays out boundaries of the kingdom to his son Simba. He says, the kingdom extends everywhere the light touches, right? Is where the kingdom extends. But Simba Simba deliberately disobeys and he goes past that point and he goes to the elephant graveyard, right? And that's why his daddy ends up dying. See, I don't know about you, but I'm going to say something really controversial. Scar was right. Simba killed his daddy. Don't be coming in here like, oh, daddy, wake up, get up. No, no. He's dead because you killed him, because you disobeyed. Secondly, Exhibit B Finding Nemo. It's right there in the title. Why are we finding him? Because he's lost. And why is he lost? Because he didn't listen. Your dad told you not to go past the drop-off, but you got all defiant with your little special fin, your lucky fin, talking about you're gonna go over and touch the butt, and now we gotta spend the next 90 minutes trying to find your disobedient self. Exhibit C, the little mermaid, King Triton, the only senior citizen with a six-pack. He told his little girl that all she needed was right there under the sea, but no, she gotta be all discontent. Now she's losing her voice, and she got nobody to blame but herself because your daddy told you under the sea. Exhibit D, Aladdin. I could, I'm just going to keep going. See, this, some of us think, oh, this is a beautiful story, love story, a whole new b- world, but her daddy told her that, that he was a fraud to go find a, a real prince. Don't fall for that dude. He ain't showing her a whole new world. The only thing he brought to the table was an Ikea rug and a monkey. All right? <laughs> Everything else came with her. And then you have exhibit, exhibit E, E for Elsa, frozen. Her dad told her, conceal it, don't feel it, right? Keep those gloves on your hands. But no, you had to take them off and let it go. And now Arendelle is completely frozen. See, it turns out lions and clownfish and mermaids, they don't like being told what to do any more than human kids be, like being told what to do. But here's the thing, it's not just kids, right? It's all of us. Have you ever gotten an email at work telling you about some change that was coming in work and the thing that they're changing is this, for you, this tried and true sort of process or system or strategy, this thing that you were really comfortable with that worked really well for you. And so you get really annoyed that they're changing it. So you just decide that you're gonna ignore that email. You're gonna ignore the change. You're just gonna keep doing whatever you wanted to do. Or imagine, you guys, you got to use your imagination this morning, a hypothetical scenario where the government tells you that you have to wear a mask everywhere you go. And I bet in this imaginary scenario that there'd be a whole bunch of you that would not only ignore that order, that some of us would actually try to fight the people who are trying to enforce it. See, it's not enough for us to be told like what to do. We want to know why. In fact, nothing creates more confusion or anger or burnout like being forced to do something that we don't understand the reasoning behind. So, how, how many know if it requires me to change or be uncomfortable or inconvenienced or to give up something or to add extra steps or expend more energy or pay more money or approach something differently than I already am, you better have a really compelling and convincing reason why. There better be a reason and a purpose because We want to know the backstory. Like, where did this idea or this expectation or this direction or this decision come from? What's behind it? What motivated it? What's the intention? What's the purpose? Because the backstory makes the current story make sense. It gives it its context. Now, it's that reality that's true for us as individuals. It's no different in our families. See, you can believe and tell your family that you're supposed to be and act like a team. But if nobody understands why, they ain't gonna do it and you're not gonna win. Because there are some obvious questions that have to be answered when you step into that conversation, right? I mean, if your family is a team, what's the game that you're playing? How do you win it? What's your team all about? How do you even know any of that stuff? What's the point or the purpose of family? Is it just to keep everybody alive and keep a roof over their heads? Is it, is it each of us you know, getting everything, everyone to the point of not needing each other anymore? Is it to make sure that everybody's happy and feels good about themselves? And do all families have the same purpose or does it vary? Is there just one right way to do family? Well, to begin unraveling that line of questioning and begin to answer some of those questions, I wanna actually take you back to the backstory, to the beginning of family, to the backstory of family. It's found in Genesis chapter one, beginning with verse 26, and it says this. It says, then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. And they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and the livestock and all the wild animals on the earth. So, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. We're going to pause here for just a second. So, um, pronouns are the subject of a giant conversation in our culture right now. And you may have not noticed, or maybe you didn't, that there's something interesting about God's pronouns in these verses. Why is it worded like that? Well, The reason is actually kind of mind-blowing. See, God created us, human beings, humanity, as binary, male and female. But he isn't. So he created two different, distinct, male and female, and we're both created in his image. We both are equally reflective of who he is, right? So he's not one or the other, he's both. And that's because he isn't a singular being, and although the word doesn't appear anywhere in scripture, the theological term that describes him is trinity. It means that God is three distinct individual person, but he's also one. He's the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit, all separate, but all one. And it's all over the scriptures. Now, if that defies logic, or you're a bit, if that's just too unbelievable for you, or it makes your brain hurt, I totally get it. But this is part of the dynamic or the reality of God that makes God God. There certainly should be, if there is a God, there shouldn't. There certainly should be things about him and realities about him that are too big to fit in our brains. And this is one of them. See, God is a family unto himself, and his intention was to make us like him so that we would identify and operate inside of a series of interdependent relationships called a family. That we, we wouldn't be completely dependent upon one another. We would be connected to each other in relationship, that we would be a team, that we would need one another, and we would work together to become something that we couldn't be by ourselves. So he goes on, verse 28. It says, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and all of the animals. Okay, so God creates the first family, and then he immediately gives them a purpose and an assignment, and the assignment was bigger than each of them as individuals, and it required them to work together as a team. And the first thing he says is, be fruitful and multiply, which is loaded with all kinds of meanings and, and meaning and has all kinds of implications for us, but none of the things that it means and are implied in that can you do by yourself. It's a team sport. So part of what he's saying is, look, go make babies. Go make more of yourself. I made you in my image. Now you go make more of you in your image. Now, this obviously doesn't apply to every single family in every single season, but I think it's interesting that the very first imperative that God gives humanity at least partly involves us having and enjoying sex and making babies. Now, I... woo woo, All right. Um... Now, I will admit right now, I'm going to take a little bit of a tangent, but I promise it will come back. See, we were actually sexual before we were sinful. Before sin entered the picture, God created us to make babies. And so God created everything that we call or that's involved in sex, whether it's beauty, attraction, the desire of lovers, touch, arousal, foreplay, the joy of a kiss on your mouth, the orgasm itself. And he's looked at all of it and he said, it's all very, very good. See, God isn't appalled by the nature of our sexuality. He revels in it because he created it. So there's this beautiful spiritual reality where God is right in the middle of the mingling of married bodies and souls. So here's my encouragement to you. If you're married, have more sex. Now, for some of you, this might be the single most exciting moment you've ever had in church in your life. Some of you are super quiet, but you were like almost just said amen. You're just like, yeah. I don't even know what that means, but I know you say it when something good in church gets said. I'm going to say amen. So just allow me to, again, indulge me for a second to make some simple suggestions that might actually improve things in this department. Guys, do something sexy that will really put her in the mood like the dishes. (laughs) I, I, knew, I knew I'd get you, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to like lose a couple of pounds, not for them, but for you, right? Because you want to feel better and view yourself better. Maybe, maybe you just need to shave a little more often. Maybe you need to get the dog out of the bedroom. Maybe you need to get the kids out of the bedroom. Maybe this was not as fun. Maybe you got to step into therapy and start to deal with some of your baggage, Or maybe just maybe you just need to put it on your calendar. On Thursdays, we're going to have a good time on Thursdays. (laughs) Whatever it is, step into that, lean into that. Okay, so that's part of what be fruitful and multiply means. But it's only part. Now, the other piece of this idea is huge, and it applies to all of us, and it is the relevant part of this conversation. Because God's going, part of what he's saying to Adam and Eve Part of what he's saying to all of humanity, but in that moment, he's saying, take what exists here. Take this love and the values and the culture and the order and spread it everywhere. Take this little thing, this little pocket of heaven on earth that I created for you and take it and spread it everywhere. It wasn't that God just wanted them to expand their family. He also wanted them to expand Eden. He wanted them not just to recreate the relationships and connections that he gave them, but also the environment and the conditions that he provided for them to live in. See, that's why this is for all of us. No matter the structure or the shape of your family, no matter what season it is in, God wants to expand his family through your family. And the way that he does that is be fruitful and multiply. Take fruit the love and the grace and the experience and the environment and the family that I've brought you into as part of my family and take and create that other places. See, because Eden didn't cover the whole earth, it was just a model of what God's heart and God's intention was for the whole planet. And so so God's going, take what I've done here and just go replicate it everywhere you go. He didn't want paradise to remain confined to this small garden of Eden. He wanted it everywhere, which brings up an interesting question. If that's what God wanted, why didn't he just put it everywhere? Well, and the simple answer to that is because he wanted to incorporate you and I into his plan and into the process. And it wasn't just God in the beginning, in Genesis saying this, this is exactly the picture that Jesus painted in the New Testament too. That's why Jesus told us that we should pray things like, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's why he said things like, go into all the world and preach the good news and make disciples, expand my family, take this thing that we've done together to every part of the world. That's why Jesus said things like, when you go out there, they'll all know that you're my family by the way that you love and treat each other. And so from the beginning, God's strategy has always chosen, that he's always chosen was a family, it was a team, which seems kind of strange, but God actually thinks about strategies and solutions way differently than we do. See, God actually prioritizes relationship over requirements. He prioritizes quality over quickness. Over, he prioritizes what over how. And some of that we like. Some of that's great, but some of it can be actually kind of frustrating, right? I mean, relationships over requirements, that's great. We love that. No rules, right? But quality over quickness, now nah, nah, you're starting to lose me, right? Because in our culture, we're obsessed with speed and efficiency. We focus solely on results and ignore the process, but God's going, if the results matter, then the process is everything. And then there's the whole like what over how stuff. Nothing can actually be more frustrating than knowing what you're supposed to do but having no idea how you're supposed to do it. I mean listen to Genesis 128 again. It says God blessed them and said be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and all the animals. So he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill, govern, reign. I mean, that's a whole lot of what and very little how. See, I have found in my relationship with God, I want him to give me a spreadsheet. I want him to go, here's, here's how it all works. Here's the steps. Here's the formulas. Here's the formulas but God insists on just painting a picture. Like we're content being a cook, but God is trying to invite us into being a chef. Because a cook follows an established, detailed recipe with step-by-step instructions, but a chef actually understands flavors and cooking techniques, and they create the recipe. They choose the ingredients. They're responsible for what happens in the kitchen. And that's, that's the kind of relationship that God is inviting us into. See, God prefers to lead us through vision and values instead of rules and regulations. Are there rules and regulations and commands? Of course there are. But the primary way that God parents us is through relationship, showing us his heart for us and for the world. It's no different in your family. No matter how how relational you are with your kids or the people that you love, you still have boundaries and rules and you still have uh, uh, parameters that Or how your family functions that people need to remain within. See, but God always starts with why and then allows us to be a part of crafting the how. And that's actually how his, that's actually his heart for how your family would work. See, when we dive into the backstory of family, God's vision is so much bigger than just, hey, you just got to provide, right? His values are so much deeper than just making sure everybody's happy. His vision is so much wider than just creating good citizens or trying to make sure everybody has a nice life. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. But God wants, to, God wants you to actually see your family as a team working together to make the world better on his behalf. Now, teams are put together to play a specific game and accomplish a certain goal which requires them to work together, and that's true of my family, and it's true of your family. But what does that actually mean, or what does that actually look like? I mean, is every family supposed to be the same? Well, I, I want to give you kind of a simple framework that I think can help you work through that. There's just three different filters, kind of three levels to begin to work through this conversation, because I, I think you need to have this conversation in your family. No matter what, if it's just you and your spouse, if you have kids, if, it's, if you're single, and you're kind of connected to your extended family, whatever your family looks like, I think you need to start to have this work through this conversation. So the first filter is this, kind of the level one is, is the purpose, right? And, and at this level, this is about what we're all ultimately here for and why. It, it, this tells us what game we're playing and what it means to win. For instance, I'm a big NFL fan. Go Cowboys. Um, <laughs> and so in the game of football, the goal, obviously, in the NFL is winning the Super Bowl right? Family, all families have the same goal. We were all given the same mission from Genesis. Be fruitful, multiply, garden, govern, reign. Jesus actually said it this way in Luke chapter 10, verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and go out there and love your neighbor as yourself. So that's the foundation. That's the purpose of your family. That's level one. Second filter, kind of level two, is your family's playbook. This is the how do we go about it here for our family, right? So football teams go about trying to win in different ways based on the players and the coaches and the strategies and the schemes that they have. And in the same way, there's more than one way for your family to win. Different families have different playbooks based on the values and the skills and personalities and passions that exist within that family, You might have people in your family that are great, you know, at including others. Your family playbook might be about, like, we're going to be creating a a sense of belonging for those who are lacking, or or we're going to step into and lean into making our church as inviting and as inclusive as possible, or we're going to, our family's going to really be about helping people get clean and sober and move towards healthy life, right? So in our family, um... This is a huge deal for us, and we kind of actually moved into this stuff like accidentally. And so, I, I want to share a little bit about our family not because you should be like our family or because we get it right, but because I've actually seen a lot of this stuff play out in our family. See, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's masterpiece and he's created us anew in Christ so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. And that's true of every one of us, but it's true of your family, that God has specific good things that he set aside for your family. Do you have a sense of what those things might be? Do you have a sense of what your teammates are about, what they're like, what they're good at? Do the people in your family, are they on the same page? So for our family, our family is kind of about this idea of loving people the way that God has loved us. That's been really our playbook from the very beginning of when Hansi and I got married. And so it looks like different things. So there's been a huge piece of that for us that has looked like, well, starting churches. This is the third churches that we've started is that we, and a huge driving force of that for us is we, this is what we're about as a family. We want to create places where we can love people the way that God has loved us. It's also expressed itself in the way that our, our family's been built, that we're a champion for adoption. It shapes how we talk about, you know, how we talk to our kids and what we tell them about, you know, who they are and what it means to be a Sherwood. Like, I actually have that conversation with my sons all the time. In this family, this is what Sherwood's do. This is what it means for you to have that name. The thing that we're about, it informs our values and all the little mantras that we use in our family, right? So, From the time that I can remember, we have a 21 year old and a 19 year old and a 12 year old and a 7 year old. And from the time that the 21 year old was old enough to go off to school, I mean, a gazillion times in our family, my wife has told them all every single day. She looks down, gets right in their face, looks right in their eyes, and says, Have a good friend. I mean, have a good day. Be a good friend. Show God's love. Whatever happens. Whatever you encounter today, have a good day, be a good friend, show God's love. I mean, a million different times. The things that my kids are sick of hearing is something that I've said over and over and over again, and it's, people are more important than, th- than things. And so, because we get things and we're, you know, things matter, they're important. We don't wanna just go around breaking stuff, but, it, it, but people are more important than stuff. We, we talk about all the time in our family about we wanna be the first ones to step in and lean to be generous. Why? Because our family is about trying to show the people and the world around us the love that we've experienced in God. And here's why this matters. When you know who you're called to be, it brings clarity to what you ought to do and how you should go about doing it. When you know your mission and you know what you're about, you know what you're not about, you know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So there's level one, there's the purpose that's sort of universal for every family. There's level two is the specific playbook for your family. And then comes the third level, which is everybody's position on the team. So this is about how each person contributes to the goals in your family. On a football team, obviously, players have different positions they play, different roles they assume. No matter what the team's strategy or playbook is, every player is critical for the team to, to win regardless of the position they play. If you're a a running team, you don't be like, all right, wide receivers, we don't need you. You guys just hang out on the sidelines. No, we need you to block your guy, right? If you're a passing team, they don't go like, we don't need any running backs. You guys just go over there. We're not going to have running backs. No, and, and it's no different for your team. You have different positions, different roles, one goal. Maybe someone's an encourager. Maybe someone is, you know, super creative. Maybe another person's super highly organized. The question is, regardless of whatever gifts, talents, abilities, whatever role that you're playing, how do I use these things for us instead of just for me? See, Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, whatever you do, whether it's in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, and the translation is that, that the translation of what he's saying is like, remember what game you're playing. It's not just about you, that there's a bigger story unfolding through your life. See, when you know this stuff, when your family team knows its purpose and mission, it doesn't mean that you change everything that you're doing. And that's the beauty of this, is God's not going, look, you need to stop doing all that stuff that your family's doing, and this is what your family needs to be about. No, no, no. Some of the, You might change some of that. It doesn't change everything you're doing, but it does change the why for why you're doing it. So when my kids were growing up and they played sports, every single practice, Every single game, we had a conversation about what our family was about. I wanted them to go have fun. I wanted them to be on winning teams. I wanted them to learn the sport. But the overarching why we're even doing this, what our playbook is in our family, is we're stepping into those moments to show people the love that we've experienced in God. My kids from the time that they were little, have shown up to help and to love and to lead at church. Not because they're my kids and I'm the pastor, but because that's what our family is about. I don't know if you know this, but pastor's kids have a really bad rep. I've been around a lot of pastors. I've been around a lot of pastor's kids. Part of the reason why kids spin out when their dads are pastors and their families is because this piece is missing. Church is my dad's job, and so I got to go perform because that's my dad's job. What's missing is this is who we are as a family. And this is why we're going to do these things. And I don't care if people think you're perfect because you're not perfect. I want you to show up and love and lead and lean in because that's what we're about as a family. So that things like setting up at church, knowing what our family's about, it brings intention and significance and purpose to every moment. If you know your purpose and you know your playbook and you know your position, man, I mean, now you're on your way. We actually tend to approach these ideas in reverse order, right? In our culture, we start by prioritizing the individual position. What do I want? What am I passionate about? What are my goals? And if somehow I can sort of fit that in within the context of my family, that's great. And God's purposes, all right. Sure, maybe down the road after I make some money and, you know, do what I want, then I'll throw God a bone and sort of figure that part out. But when we do that, there's no deeper story. There's no purpose beyond ourselves to aim our lives and our families at. See, I actually am of the conviction that our families and our homes should get the best of everybody's talents and skills before work or before school or before anything else. Most of the time we do it in reverse. Family gets leftovers, right? We, we scurry to, to go serve and do this thing because we got guilted into it or we know it's a good thing, but it just becomes one more thing on the calendar, one more task we got to do, and no nobody needs that. But if we begin to leverage the best of us, our time, our talent, our energy, for things that matter. And by the way, if, if, if we don't build this way, we will spend our life leveraging ourselves, our passions, our talents, our energies for lesser places and lesser purposes. So I, I wondered, do you actually see your family as a team that's been brought together by God to leverage every person's gifts, talents, personalities, strengths, even weaknesses to accomplish his bigger purpose in the place where your family lives. Because you were designed for family and your family was meant to be a team. And here's the thing about all of this. Being a valuable part of a team that's chasing something big is hardwired into us so deeply that if your family doesn't experience that with you, they will go find it somewhere else. And they will often end up making selfish decisions and living lesser stories with lesser families because they didn't find a deep, meaningful purpose to lean their life into. It's no wonder that so many good teens, so many good kids and so many good teens end up living terrible stories. Because we haven't given them a better, more compelling story to live. And so they go find something to live for and a family that's going to draw something out of them. How do we keep that from happening? Where do you even start? Last week, we actually gave you this little worksheet where you can start to map out some of the things about the players on your family. We actually have a a series of worksheets to give you today. One of them you can just take the stuff that you did last week and transfer it over. The other two help you sit down and start to craft what is your mission, what is your vision like, what's this family about? Even if you don't do the worksheets, at least start with this question. What is your family most known for? What do you want it to be known for? So many times, our families are known for stuff that's not that, I mean, it's, it's not that it's not as bad. It's just not significant. Oh, no, they're the Disney family. Well, that's not a bad thing. But don't, don't you want your family to be known for more than just you like Disneyland? I do. There's, there's some people that, that I know of that their family is known, like they, they want to be known and their family is known as the, the Jeep family. Because they all have Jeeps. And that's pretty cool. But I'm like, isn't there something more to your family than you like? American cars? Is the thing that your family or that you're most known for, is it something that God would want you to be known for? If not, maybe, maybe it's time to shift some things around, to shift some of your priorities, to alter some schedules, to make some different decisions. Psalm chapter 127, verse 1 says this Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. One of the things I love about this truth in this reality is it doesn't say, Hey, everybody, stand down. God's got it. He's going to build the house. No, you still build, you're still laboring, you're still working. But if you're doing it without God, man, you're going to have a rough go. God invites you and goes, hey, I'm an expert at building families. Let's do this together. Let's build your house. Let's watch over your family. Let's co-create and co-build together. That's what God is inviting you into. That's what he wants from you. There's a deeper purpose There's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper task for you to lean into. Let's pray together.